We need to understand that Satan and those in his domain want to get us out of the way. They don't want us to function rightly and do God's work. They want to stop the work. They don't want us to do it. And we must not fear, but we must keep working. Well, thanks for joining us for this midweek edition of Equipping the Saints, featuring the Bible teaching of Greg Lundstedt, pastor of Equipping Bible Church in Greer, South Carolina. Greg, today we come to Nehemiah chapter 6, and you've titled this message, How to Keep from Being Overcome by the Enemy's Attacks, Satan's Tactic of Fear. Yes, David, indeed, we're going to begin to see today how Satan uses those in his domain to try to get us to fear and then sin so that we will give up on the work of God. But the Lord has given us Nehemiah's example so that we will not be overcome by fear, but will trust the Lord. Let's turn together to Nehemiah chapter 6 for this wonderful lesson. Thanks, Greg. Now, today's message is one you'll want to share with a friend. Just tell them to visit etsradio.org. That's etsradio.org. They'll find today's broadcast as well as a host of other archived broadcasts waiting there for them. Our web address again is simply etsradio.org. Now, let's join Greg for today's message. Well, if you were to do a search on the Internet of people's 10 greatest fears, it's kind of interesting. The Internet's kind of been overtaken by wokeness and stuff. Now, half that will be conservatives or Trump or whatever it might be. But if you would have searched a couple of years ago, you would see that people would share their real fears, such as death, uh, the unknown, fear of getting old, fear of getting sick, fear of relatives dying, all kinds of different things, fears of all sorts of different things, fear of flying you know, fear of bugs and spiders and snakes, whatever it might be. The reality is we, as people, do fear. We do fear, and there is a lot to fear. I mean, if you just watch the news, there's a lot to fear. What about this? What about this war here? What about nuclear weapons? What about all this stuff? Then you've got the media telling you what you should fear, and you've got fear everywhere. And the reality is, we don't need anyone else to tell us what to fear. We're tempted with fears ourselves. The reality is, there are things that are unknown to us in the future that cause us to fear, whether it's being falsely accused by someone. What's going to happen? What are people going to think? What's going to be the result of that? Or what's going to happen, physically speaking, with this disease or whatever it might be? What's going to happen to my family members? I want them to come to Christ. That's a good fear, but still, fears. And the reality is, we as believers need not fear. And the Lord does not want us to fear. Because as we're going to see, fear is antithetical to trust in Christ. When we are fearing, we are not trusting Christ, we are not loving Him, and we are not loving one another. We are self-loving, we are self-focused, we are encompassed by fear. And yet we all know the chains and the bondage that happens when we give into fear. We feel helpless, we can't get out of it. So for believers, and we'll see for non-believers also later on, but how can we as believers keep from being overcome by fear? And we're going to see that we have an enemy that desires to use fear to manipulate us, that we would be sidetracked from the work of Christ. So then, maybe you're fearing something today. You're fearing what will happen with your spouse. You're fearing what might happen in your family. You're fearing what might happen in this world 
You're fearing what might happen with the medical condition. You're fearing about something. How do we get set free from fear? The Lord says many times, do not fear. Well, how do we get set free? Let's take a look at a wonderful passage in the book of Nehemiah because we're going to see that Nehemiah is an example for us on how not to be enchained and enslaved by fear. Now, we've been going to the book of Nehemiah and we've seen that he has heard important information about the Jews in Jerusalem and the gates being burned down and walls in a shambles. He is the cupbearer to the king, a very high position, and he is bro- completely broken over it. What's happening there? What's happening to the Jews and the walls and everything? What has happened? And he realizes after praying and praying and praying that God is the one who's going to use him to go help these Jews out to build the walls. And so we saw in chapter 1 that he was praying for God's favor when he would come before the king. He knew God could do everything. He knew that God was a God who was mighty and above all things. But yet he prayed for four months, and he was concerned about it. And then in chapter 2, we saw that God was gracious, that God moved the heart of the king to bring about the circumstances to inquire why Nehemiah was sad. And Nehemiah responded, and the king asked what his request was, and he requested to go help and rebuild. And God granted that request, and he also granted Nehemiah's wise requests in terms of having papers to get there safely and also having the king's forest guy give him have a note that he can get wood and stuff from there. And so Nehemiah, because the good hand of the Lord was on him, was granted to do this. And then we saw when he was on his way to Jerusalem that opposition began to form, that it was a great evil to Sanballat and Tobiah. It was evil to them that somebody would want to come and help the Jews. But yet, Nehemiah was very strong and stayed focused on what the Lord had called him to do. And when he got there, he didn't tell anybody. He waited three days, and then he inspected the walls at night secretly to see what needed to be done. And then he came to the people and shared what shambles it was in, and he called upon them to join him in this great work. And he showed and he explained that God's hand had been upon him and how the king had given his requests. And then we came to chapter 3 where we have an overview of the whole process and how everyone worked together to get the walls built. A tremendous reality, what God did. And then we came to chapter 4 where we began to see the specifics of the opposition forming. We saw the tactics of Satan. We saw, first of all, Satan used stinging words to the servants to cause them to be discouraged. You know, this wall, the work is these feeble Jews. If a fox was to jump on the wall, it would fall over. Look at how terrible it is. And Nehemiah very clearly trusted the Lord. He understood that these tactics were from Satan, I believe. He understood they were evil, no doubt. And they were to discourage and demoralize God's people. And he prayed. He prayed, sharing the situation with the Lord, calling upon him to bring just retribution upon his enemies. And from this prayer, we were encouraged to continue to be at God's work from a right heart. And then in the second half of chapter 4, we saw another one of Satan's tactics to try to use fear again to bring someone to be discouraged through an outright attack. There was going to be a sneak attack. They were going to surround them and knock them off and take care of them. But God enabled them to hear about it. And they trusted the Lord. They prayed to God 
and God protected them. And they continued to wisely be prepared to fight where they had their swords in one hand and their trowel in another hand, where they were guarding against the threats of that attack. And they were on guard day and night. And we saw that indeed they were not to be discouraged, but they were to work because the Lord would fight for them. Another great lesson for us. And then in chapter 5, last time we were together, we saw that Satan tries to exploit internal sin within the Jews to try to get them to stop. And what was that sin? There was a famine and people were starving and they were having to mortgage their houses, their fields, their vineyards. They were having to borrow money to get food. And the rich and wealthy nobles and rulers, the Jews, their brothers, Jewish brothers who had come from Babylon, they were brothers, they were there for the same reason, were exacting usury from them. Going against the word of God, you should not do that. You shall not exact usury against your brother. Right? We see that back in the law. And they were making a buck, and they were foreclosing on their houses. They took them as pledges. And Nehemiah saw it, and he was hot. He was angry, a righteous anger. And then he rightly addressed it after he considered it. He thought about it to himself. He had a consultation with himself. And then he brought about a meeting, a great meeting, where he confronted the sin And he called upon them to do the right thing and then even to commit to doing the right thing. And they did. And they stopped the usury and they gave back the money. And Satan, again, was thwarted through righteous addressing of sin and righteous fear of God rather than fear, as we will see, of men. It's from here we come to our passage today where we have another tactic of Satan that is clearly, as we will see, fear. It's trying to frighten them so that they will not continue in the work. Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 1. Now it came about when it was reported to Sanballat, Tobiah, to Gershom the Arab, and to the rest of our enemies, notice what he, how he describes them, that I had rebuilt the wall and that no breach remained in it, although at that time I had not set up the doors in the gates, that Sanballat and Gersh- Geshem sent a message to me saying, come, Let us meet together at Sepharim on the plain of Ono. But they were planning to harm me. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent messages to me four times in this manner. And I answered them in the same way. Then Sanballat sent his servant to me in the same manner a fifth time with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Gashmu says that you and the Jews are planning to rebel. Therefore, you are rebuilding the wall, and you are to be their king, according to these reports. And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim in Jerusalem concerning you. A king is in Judah, and now it will be reported to the king according to these reports. So come now, let us take counsel together. Then I sent a message to him saying, Such things as you are saying have not been done, but you are inventing them in your own mind. For all of them were trying to frighten us, thinking they will become discouraged with the work and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. And when I entered the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was confined at home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God with the temple and let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you and they are coming to kill you at night. But I said, should a man like me flee? 
And could such as I go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Then I perceived that surely God had not sent him, but he uttered his prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He was hired for this reason, that I might become frightened and act accordingly in sin so that they might have an evil report in order that they could reproach me. Remember, O oh my God, Tobiah and Sanballat, according to all these works of theirs, and also Noadiah the prophetess and the rest of the prophets who were trying to frighten me. Okay, so as we get going here, I want to make some large observations, and you probably already made them, that this chapter has to do with the tactic of fear, with the enemies using the tactic of fear. Verse 9, for all of them were trying to frighten us. Verse 13, he was hired for this reason that I might become frightened and act accordingly in sin. Verse 14, remember, O God, Tobias and God, according to these works of theirs, and Noadiah the prophetess, the rest of the prophets who were trying to frighten me. And then look down at verse 19. I didn't read this, but it's at the end of the chapter. Moreover, they were speaking about his good deeds in my presence, that's Tobiah, by the way, and reporting my words to him. Then Tobiah sent letters to frighten me. Here you go. This is a tactic we're seeing. It is a tactic of fear, and it is one of Satan's tactics. Yes, we are not ignorant of his schemes. We do know that our battle is not against flesh and blood, right? It's against Satan. But he uses willing participants that are in his domain who are self-centered, self-focused, self-seeking to do their own will, which is against the will of God. And so then, we're going to learn how Nehemiah overcomes these tactics of fear, and it will help us in our walk with Christ when we are tempted. Now, we might remember Satan initially used ridicule to try to get him discouraged through Sanballat and Tobiah. And then he used outright violence and the threat of that. And then he used internal conflict through sin. And now he's using those to frighten them. So then, this passage is about Satan's tactic of fear. And we're going to see how we can have victory over it through Nehemiah's inspired response. So how can we? Well, the first thing we're going to see and we need to recognize is we need to understand that Satan and those in his domain want to get us out of the way. They don't want us to function rightly and do God's work. They want to stop the work. They don't want us to do it. And we must not fear, but we must keep working. Because as we're going to see, once we give in to fear, the work of God goes out the window and we become self-centered, whether it's in our families, marriages, the church, at work. When we start fearing, it's all about us. It's all about our circumstance and everything else goes out the window. So verse 1, chapter 5. Now it came about when it was reported to Sanballat, Tobiah, Gershom, the Arab, and to the rest of our enemies. Notice how he calls them. These are our enemies. Hey, flat out. Chapter 6, verse 1. And so we see he calls them enemies. These are our enemies. You know, we want to be so gracious at times. Well, we don't want to say it. Well, we need to speak the truth. The Lord Jesus was full of grace and truth, but yet he spoke the truth concerning those who were opposed to him. He was gracious, but he spoke the truth. And he understood being God in human flesh. But we can understand because God has revealed in his word who our enemies are and what they look like. And here we can see them. Sanballat, Tobiah, Gershom, the Arab, and to the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall, no breach remained in it. So it's not quite 53 days. It's getting close. They're working hard. It's coming together. 
They've got the wall done, but they have not done the gates yet. So it's getting close, and the word gets back to the enemies. Of course it always does. We saw that in our church with our enemies, right? The word always got around somehow. It always squeaked out and got back to people, and then they tried new plans to try and thwart things, right? You see that throughout. There's nothing new under the sun. And so here it gets back. It says that we built the wall, no breach had remained, although at that time had not accepted the doors and the gates, that Sanballat and Gershom sent a message to me. When they heard it, they sent a message. Here's the message. Now they're going to give it to that. Now you might remember Sanballat and Tobiah, these are enemies of the Lord and us, the Jews, and thus Nehemiah. Sanballat was most likely a Moabite from Horanim. Uh, he was probably the governor of Samaria, but regardless, he was a highly important political power. He had a lot of power, okay, as we say. Um, and Tobiah was an Ammonite official holding high office, powerful politician, but he was also one who infiltrated the Jews religiously, as we see. He was an infiltrator. And then Gershom, the Arab, also an enemy. We've seen him before also. So these guys are trying their best through their official positions to influence Nehemiah to stop and not build the walls, and yet they have been unsuccessful. And Nehemiah is getting close. It's getting close. They're almost there, and they hear the word. So what do they do when they hear the word? Verse 2, that Sanballat and Gershom sent a message to me, saying, Come, let us meet together at Shepherim and the plain of Ono. Now, this place would be about halfway between Samaria and Jerusalem, and it is a deserted area. Come, let's meet halfway in the middle in this deserted area, okay? And so Nehemiah says, these are our enemies, and here's what they're saying. But yet Nehemiah understands that their motives are not what one might want to think. Maybe they're saying, you won, Nehemiah, you got the job done, let's be buddies, let's just put it back behind us and work together, right? He wasn't a hopeful thinker based on falsehood. Sometimes we do that. We will ignore the truth and be hopeful in a false way. Now, we need to be hopeful in a way the Lord reveals in his word. Now, Nehemiah, notice what happens here. He says in the end of verse 2, but they were planning to what? Harm me. You see, this would be a deserted location, as I mentioned, halfway between Samaria and Jerusalem. Maybe the enemies are saying, okay, Nehemiah, you won, blah, blah, blah. But no, that's not what they were saying. And Nehemiah understood that. You see here, they had tried a violent sneak attack before. They had tried other things. They were very much enemies. And so here we have them calling to do this meeting. But they were planning to harm me, he says. So how does Nehemiah know this? How does he know they're planning to harm him? Well, did someone tell him? Possibly. We don't know. Certainly a lot of word was going out. Loose lips were sinking a lot of ships, right? A lot of word was going out both ways. But as we're going to see, Nehemiah is discerning and trusts the Lord. I don't know if someone told him or not, but I know he's discerning. And I know he trusts the Lord. And I know he understands biblical, biblical principles and that these are enemies. And think about it. They're not sending a letter saying, we are so sorry for all that we have done. We have mocked you. We have ridiculed you. We have tried to stop your work. We are wrong. That's not what the letter says. So I believe Nehemiah understood intuitively to meet out in this deserted area would be a danger to him. He's leaving the security of Jerusalem and going out there. And so he understood they're trying to harm him. And so how does he respond? Verse 3. 
So I sent messengers to them saying, and I love this by the way, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Right? Why should that happen? Nehemiah just comes straight out. I'm doing a great work and I'm not coming to you. I'm not going to stop the work to come out and talk to you. You know, we want so desperately to be resolved in conflict, to be at peace with all men, but we need to be careful that we don't have one principle contradict another principle in Scripture. Nehemiah understood this was not a genuine plea for reconciliation. You see what I'm saying? He understood that. They were trying to harm him. So he says, it's a great work. And why is it a great work? We know because God is in it. And a side note, if you are serving the Lord, you are doing a great work. God is in it. When you serve Christ, you are doing a great work. When you serve him in the body of Christ, you are doing a great work. You serve him at home. You serve him at work. You're doing a great work. It's God's work, and God is in it. And so he says, hey, I'm not going to come. I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Pretty straightforward. He wasn't being dishonorable, disrespectful. He's being truthful. I'm not going to do it. Why should I come and stop the work to talk to you? Now, they could have ripped back, said, well, here's why. We really do want to apologize. We messed up, you know, and hey, maybe meet somewhere else and let's really hear it, all right? But that's not what they do. Notice it says what they did. Verse 4, and they sent messages to me four times in this manner, and I answered them in the same way. Okay, he's not going to buy into it. He's not going to do it. He's not going to do it. So what can we learn from here? Well, first of all, Nehemiah was wise to discern that his enemies were enemies. You know, your enemies are enemies until something changes and nothing had changed. They were enemies, okay? They were enemies of Nehemiah and of the Lord, and he understood that. Secondly, we need to stay at work. We need to keep working. Keep doing what we should be doing in Christ. Don't get sidetracked. Keep working. And brother and sister, as I mentioned before, also, when you are serving the Lord, it is a great work. You're serving the Lord. It's his work. It's a great work. And then lastly, I think we need to recognize how this initial four verses relates to the rest of the chapter. I think it relates to it pointing out that these guys aren't going to stop. They're going to keep going. They're going to keep attacking. It hasn't changed. So with that in mind, it was a deceitful attempt here now, and their tactics have changed a little bit, to harm the leader. Hey, take out the quarterback. Team doesn't do too well, right? Strike down the shepherd, right? The sheep going to scatter, right? So pray for your leaders because they've got a big bullseye on them. Satan is going after them. He goes after you too. He's going after them, right? And leaders, don't give the Lord's time to your enemies. I don't have time to do it. I'm doing God's work. So how can we not be overcome by fear? Well, we need to realize it's coming. The dangers are coming. There are people out there. They're enemies. And they got new, interesting ways to attack us. But nothing's new under the sun. All going to have the same thread within it. That's what we're going to say. So we got to realize it's coming. And we recognize that fear is what they're using here in this tactic. We're going to see it. If you've just joined us, you've been listening to Equipping the Saints with Greg Lundstedt. You can hear today's message again by visiting our website, etsradio.org. That's etsradio.org. 
CDs of today's message or other messages are available at our website as well. And as a part of the Ministry of Equipping the Saints, all our audio resources are available at no cost to you, thanks to the Lord's provision through the faithful support of friends of this broadcast. To order your complimentary CD, call us toll-free 1-800-596-9144. That's 800-596-9144. If you prefer to request your complimentary CD by email, our email address is contact at etsradio.org. Greg, we've just begun to see that Satan uses fear to attempt to get us to give up on God's work. Yes, we have. And so please make plans to join us again for our next edition of Equipping the Saints, where we're going to continue to see how not to be overcome by the enemy's attacks as he uses fear to try to get us to give up rather than to trust the Lord. As we close today's broadcast, here's an important message from our teacher, Greg Lundstedt. Hi, this is Greg Lundstedt, and it is my great privilege to study and teach the Word of God and to share it with you each day on this radio station. And as you listen, I want to ask you this question. Has equipping the saints been a blessing to you? If so, would you prayerfully consider coming alongside us financially? You see, your financial partnership with us is so appreciated. So on behalf of the team here at Equipping the Saints, we want to praise our Lord and thank you for your prayers and financial support. Well, thanks, Greg. Now, to partner with us, call us toll-free, 1-800-596-9144. That's 800-596-9144. Or if you prefer to send a gift online, our web address is etsradio.org. Well, we hope you make plans to join us again right here for another edition of Equipping the Saints. Yeah.